Destiny Church 217 podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. David Nichols for a Q&A style conversation about the Antichrist. Dr. Nichols is the founder of Heart of the Father Ministries. He has over 40 years of ministry experience as a pastor, college professor, academic dean, and missionary evangelist. Following the message, take a look at the episode description to see scripture references as well as helpful links to learn more about Heart of the Father Ministries and the ministry of Destiny Church. Dr. Nichols and I go way back, as I mentioned in the announcements. Uh, he was was a professor. it around the time of Noah? About the time of Noah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we were, he was my professor in school. He was working on his uh, PhD at the time, and I was his teaching assistant. And we had some good times, some great memories, and uh, he's quite instrumental in my life. Um, great sounding board early in ministry when I would call him up and say, Hey, Doc, I got this wonderful idea. I'm going to preach this. He goes, don't do that. That's a heresy from the third century. I said, oh, okay, maybe I should not do that. So uh, he's, he's extremely knowledgeable, and it's a blessing to have him here today. And so welcome Dr. David Nichols to the platform, if you will, with me. We've talked we about... My wife, Sherry, is back here. I look for some Sherry. Of the world's Sher- greatest grandchildren. There's Sherry right there. Right there, Sam and Rachel. Hi, guys. Sam and Rachel, the whole gang. God, God bless you guys. Good to see you. Yeah, so um, we've had different discussions over the years in this format, which I really, really enjoy. And so when you were coming back, I asked the staff, I said, what would be a good topic? And they go, Joey, I think, was the first to say, the Antichrist. And uh, so we want to talk about the Antichrist today. And I, I want to lay out a couple uh, things that we suppose, or presuppose, together so that we, we don't have to build from the ground up. Um, and if I'm... If I'm wrong, please tell me. Uh, so there is, there is in theology the greatest understanding that there is most likely going to be a person that is identified in the last days as the Antichrist. Um, that is a person, much like in the fivefold, we have offices and we have anointings. So we have this person that's going to sit in this office as the Antichrist, and there may have well been others, and we'll discuss that. Um, but there's also a spirit of Antichrist. So it's not just a person for a particular set of circumstances and time, but it's also a pervasive spirit. Can we, can we come to that place as a presupposition? Yeah, we'll correct your first point as we go along. Okay. <laughs> Great. I'm, that's, that's awesome. All right. So, so I just have two, two texts that I want to um, lay out as the actual physical coming of the Antichrist. The first is in 2 Thessalonians 2. You guys should take notes today, or at least uh, bookmark the podcast. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this, concerning the coming of the Lord and being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, so do not become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that God has called in worship so that he sets himself up as God in the temple. Showing himself that he is God. Right. uh, Don't you remember when I was with you, I used to tell you these things and now you know What's holding him back so that we may be revealed, so he may be revealed at the proper time. Four, 
The secret power of the lawlessness is already at work. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord has, Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs, counterfeit wonders. And every sort of evil spirit that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And the other one that speaks specifically about the physical Antichrist is in Revelation. This is our last one. And he, the Antichrist, performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of men because the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by a sword and yet lived. We probably won't go there. He was given power to breathe, to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their forehead so that no one could sell, buy, unless he had that mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of his name, and that calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for that man's number is 666. Does that speak to a person? I mean, it's also the system, and we have some gray, brackish waters there, but there is an antichrist. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. There's this anointing of the antichrist, yeah. this anti-anointing, the this spirit, antichrist. The, the spirit, spirit of antichrist. It's been around a long time. First John 2.18, dear children... This is not the last hour, so you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and now many Antichrists have come. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? All right. Well, to begin with, I brought some of my favorite uh, eschatology books okay. with me here today. All right. And I also bought, brought some favorite ones. They're favorite because I wrote them, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my favorite, top two all-time favorite eschatology books are these two, okay? Oh, yeah. That was happening when I was in school. It was. It did. Yeah. Right, right. 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988, okay? And it gives them all out there, and, I, and it says... Anybody remember this book? Right. remember 1988. A guy wrote a book. You have to be The 88 really, Reasons the Lord's Going to Return in 1988. You have to be really old to remember this book, but... <laughs> But anyway, uh, in, in hermeneutics class, I threatened the class that I was going to make this the textbook that year on how not to interpret the Bible, <laughs> okay? But uh, it's all in here, the beast, the Antichrist, uh, uh, with his reasons. Uh, and the, the date, he said, of course, was Rosh Hashanah, 1988. But this, this is only my number two favorite eschatology book. My real number one favorite is this one, because this is the 1989 book. <laughs> it's the rewrite. Right. Because when Jesus doesn't show up in 88, you got to say something in 89. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, Edgar Wissanant did. He issued this one. In fact, he cut himself some slack here. If you could see the, the uh, cover of the book here, it's 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. You know, kind of fades off into the future. But in this book, uh, the, the title of the first chapter is What Went Wrong in 1988 and Why? <laughs> okay. Now, Edgar Wissanant was not a theologian. He was an electrical engineer. He was really good with math. Uh, but not so good with exegesis, okay? But anyway, what went wrong in 1988 is he forgot that the first century only has 99 years, okay? Every other century has 100 years, you know, like the second century starts at 100, goes to 199, that's 100 years. The first century, there is no year zero, so the first century, century is one through 99, 99 years. So when he realized that, he got a whole new lease on life. He could, all 1989, he could say, it's Rosh Hashanah 1989. Problem is, Jesus didn't show up. But uh, anyway, but to the, to the Antichrist issue, I have some here that are, are very nice. This book was written by a dear lady named Mary Ralphie. And in this book, oh. she names... Anwar el-Sadat, remember yeah. him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Former president of Egypt as the Antichrist. And Anwar is in his eternal reward now. We're not sure that works so is out Mary. so well. So is Mary, Mary is too, right? <laughs> right. right. Then we got Hal Lindsey here, count, 1980s countdown to Armageddon. Well, of course, if you're having Armageddon, you got to have the Antichrist leading it, right? That didn't work out too well either. But then there's uh, Gorbachev has the real Antichrist come. Guy who wrote this is another mathematician. If you want to have your head spin with numbers, read this book. He proves that Mikhail Gorbachev is the Antichrist. Well, then he met Ronald Reagan, and the wall came down, right? <laughs> you American history people here, right? And that one didn't work out too well either. But the real mother load for, uh, for uh, future super boogeyman antichrist theorizing is this book right here. Because these people are not Christians. This is Hollywood. The Omen. Yeah, The Omen, okay. Anybody remember The Omen? And right embedded in the O is, do a drum roll, six, six, six. And, and the omen, uh, really on a secular Hollywood screen type thing, put what many, many evangelical Christians really believe about a future antichrist. His mother was a jackal. He is not really human, but he is human, but he's so, and he's super, and he's all this. Ah! <laughs> so anyway, so those are some of my favorites on those. Hey, and by the way, at our table out there, so I don't forget later, we're having a book special today. We have five books out there that I wrote, five for 35. This red one here is for all of you interested in things fivefold. This is your book right here, okay? But we have uh, five, uh, three, four other ones that go with it, my two new books that I wrote last year. Uh, we've got all kinds of other stuff there. Uh, stop and check that out on your way out today, please. All right, so... Where, where do we go from here? What about what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians? What about John said in Revelation? Do you know what I noticed in those two passages of Scripture, Eric? Tell me. 
The word antichrist does not appear in them. Right, there's there's four places that antichrist, the word antichrist. Right. And they're all in which books of the Bible? John. First John. And, and second John. John, yes. Isn't that amazing? You could search through your Bible, especially the book of Daniel, you could search through the book of Revelation and you would not find the word antichrist. So a question that kind of pops into my head about that is, well, if that's true, then why do we call the beast in the book of Revelation Antichrist? Why do we call the first the beast or the second beast? Two beasts there, yeah, that's right. And why do we call the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians Antichrist? And why do we call the little horn in Daniel the Antichrist when in the Bible itself hey, they're the just all separate here. things? Right. <laughs> right. Well, they're all different Why? names. They're all different words. They're yeah. all different names. Are they really all? But when we, if we conflate them and put them all together. Oh, very good. If we conflate them all together, then we get this really fantastic future super guy that is bigger than life. Right. And the question, people, really is who do you fear? It, it, you know, and just getting ready for this and kind of, you know, preparing for the day and everything. Okay, I'm like, Antichrist, Sunday morning, you know, you know. It's like, how is this going to edify people and build them up, right? Kind of a pastoral type of question. Well, the question is, who and what do you fear? And Ryan was just on it here a minute ago. We have to be people who fear God. But there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that wants to make you, and stuff that is not, pardon me, not Bill Gates, you know, not, not uh, you know, really clearly evil stuff. I mean, it's just stuff from the kind of churchy evangelical atmosphere out there that can make you very much fearful. And I'm here to tell you today what Jesus said, don't be afraid. <laughs> Fear God. So... If you can, if they can make you afraid, then it's more easier to deceive you. That's right. Because if if anybody can make you afraid, then you know, what do I have to what do I have to do to be unafraid? Well, then here, let me show you. And I think that's why the scripture yeah, says, particularly good. in John, where it talks about don't be deceived, mm -hmm. don't be deceived. Not only there's been many. Uh, if you just deny the Father, that's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world, any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. That's right. So, guys, so they want to sow fear. That's right. And that will aid them in deceiving you. That's right. Let's throw the first slide up there. We got slides. I got slides. You came with slides. The I teacher came, came with slides. All right. Let's just go through this real quickly, okay? Okay, next, first one. There's four methods of interpreting Bible prophecy. The first one is called the idealist method. This method sees the big picture. It sees good and evil. It sees heaven and hell. It sees uh, there's a lot of symbolism in, in Bible prophecy. Uh, when John sees into heaven, he sees a lamb. Is Jesus a lamb? You know, if Jesus were here, would we pet him, you know, have nice little floppy ears, you know, a nice nose sticking? No, not literally, but he is the lamb. We're going to talk more about that tonight, actually. But uh, that's the idealist method. All kinds of attention and decoding of the symbolism, which is very important to do, as, uh, for sure. All right, second one, the preterist method. 
In the preterist method, you find everything that is stated in the prophecy in the generation of the first hearers and readers. Say that so, again. So Make sure you understand what he just said. Okay. You find everything fulfilled that is said in the prophecy, you find it in the first generation of those people that heard it and, and saw it. So, for example, when Jesus gives the Mount Olivet Discourse, that's another one you could have added the to sun your list and the moon there. and yes, right. all of that. Yeah, all that and and the abomination of desolation mm -hmm. and all all that's in the Mount Olivet discourse. The preterist view says that was all fulfilled between then and the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And there's some reasons why they say that. I mean, in the ultimate sense, they're wrong, but there's some reasons why they do that. All right, next one. The historical method finds fulfillments of Bible prophecies through the passing of church history. In other words, we're not the first ones to ever ask these questions. We think we are, <laughs> and, and there are reasons why we think there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, right? And a lot of stuff that could make you fearful. But Christians that have really loved God and have really loved Jesus have asked these questions we're asking right now for 1,900 plus years. When Christians were being thrown into the Colosseum. Ah, that's very important to talk about. And then the last one is called the Futurist Method. This is the method that most evangelical Christians immediately leap to. When they hear Jesus speaking in the Mount Olivet Discourse, they hear your passage in the book of Revelation, they go like this. I hear it, I see it, I take off. <laughs> Out of the first century, I fly over the second century, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I fly over Dark the Middle Ages, ages Reformation. fly right over the Reformation, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, over the Enlightenment, right over the modern age, we land right in the postmodern age, 2023. Where's the beast? <laughs> and that's a mistake. Yeah. No, there are future things. There are, there are, in my opinion, there are things that were stated, some left that haven't been fulfilled yet, but they might the, be The fewer. abomination that causeth desolation. Well, let's, you want to talk about let's that? Let's talk about that, because I think right. that it, if you're a preterist, I don't have to worry about it. It's already been done, right? So we are, we're ready for the rapture right now. Right. Um, so how about the abomination of desolation? Uh, no, so, I asked I ask so, that question. So, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here we go. And, right. and this it really speaks to Second Thessalonians 2 also. Exactly. And the abomination that causes desolation is, is an Old Testament prophecy re repeated in what I just read to yeah. you where the Antichrist sets him up in a reconfigured, rebuilt temple. Maybe, or, or, maybe. What, yeah. <laughs> sets himself up as the yeah, Christ. As Christ, yeah, right. Okay. The instead of Christ. I, I, I am the right, Christ. Right, right, right. Okay. right. All right, so, so let's, let's take it as Jesus gives it there in Matthew 24. He's quoting Daniel chapter 7. And, um, and then Second Thessalonians, what you just read. That that has to happen right. first. So here we go. Okay. So Second Thessalonians written in the early 50s, right? In the first century, probably. Mm -hmm. Late 40s, early 50s. Well, right before that, in the early 40s, there was an emperor named Caligula. And Caligula was clinically insane. <laughs> okay. Nice guy, I have a guy running the world that's insane, but that was the case. 
And Caligula got up one day and he said, you know, I think it would be a really great idea. You know, the Jews have that temple over there in Jerusalem. They're really big on that thing. And I think they should have an, an image of me put right inside there. So every time the Jews go in there to worship their God, first they have to worship me because I am the great. And this is about the time emperor worship was starting as well. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my guy. So he got on his smartphone. No, he, he, sent, he sent a message over the Mediterranean Sea to Petronius, who had succeeded Pontius Pilate, same position, different guy, says, hey, Petronius, have a statue made up that looks like me and uh, install it in the temple in Jerusalem. And Petronius says, oh, boy. This is not, this is not going to be good. He knew everything that happened with Pontius Pilate, even with the crucifixion of Jesus, and then, you know, and so forth and so on. So he starts doing it, though. He's he's a good, obedient governor. He, uh, Caligula is the emperor, so he starts making the image. The Jews down in Jerusalem hear about it, and pretty soon they send up a group of leaders to talk to Petronius, and they say, "Hey, uh, look." We know you guys have conquered us militarily. We know you can wipe us out, but you're not going to do that because you need what's here and all this and that. And so, please, this is one thing. If there's one thing you don't do, you don't put an image of some emperor in the temple. And Petronius goes, I know, I know, I've been here a while, but that's what the big guy wants, you know? So, so he blew him off a couple of times. And uh, finally, there came a group of, this is all written in the historian Josephus, by the way. There comes a, a group of Jews who make the request again to Petronius, and he says, nah, you guys get out of here. And they, as one man, they fall down on the ground and they lay bare their necks like this, like cut off my head. Before we, you would put a, a statue of the emperor in the temple cut off my head and Petronius looked out over that site and he was visibly moved he was like whoa because his soldiers could have done it he had it's all surrounded by Roman soldiers with swords and he said uh, all right I'm, I'm gonna try something so he writes a letter to Caligula and says hey big buddy uh, no he didn't say big buddy but he, He's the almost noble, insane emperor. You know, <laughs> this is not a good idea. Is there something else we can do? And Caligula gets the letter, and uh, flies into a rage, and he gives the great Roman uh, solution to these kinds of problems. He writes his own letter, telling Petronius to commit suicide, and his his successor is ready and will take over. The letter goes out on the Mediterranean. This should be a movie, by the way. It would make a great movie. The letter goes out on a ship in the, in the Mediterranean Sea. It's on its way to Petronius. And while it's out there, the Roman Senate and the Praetorian Guard conspire against Caligula and assassinate him. Okay, and he's dead. And now the race is on between the letter and the news about Caligula, which is going to get there first. Is Petronius going to have to kill himself? And fortunately, the news got there first, and he didn't have to do that. They were that close to an attempt in the 40s, early 40s, to having a statue of Caligula put into the temple. 
No, I'm almost speaking like a preterist here now. Okay? I caught that. Yeah. So now, so we come, Paul writes that, and, and uh, Jesus, of course, has already said what, what's in Matthew 24. We come down to the Jewish-Roman War, which is written in great detail, and I, I highly recommend it to you. Don't read it before you go to bed at night, but in Josephus, if, you know, horrors of, of what can be done to a human body, and, I mean, without modern technology that we have now, it's, it's really there. Okay, as far as horrible stuff. There is a point in the, in the Jewish-Roman War when the Romans are conquering the city of Jerusalem, and this is what is being resisted by the Jews, is the, all the Roman soldiers were led by these flag battalions that had this big flagstaff with the head of the emperor, which at that time, remember, during the war, Nero died in 68 AD in mysterious circumstances, and he was succeeded by Vespasian, so it was ahead of, when the war began, it was ahead of Nero. In the middle of the war, it all changes, we got a different emperor, so now it's the head of Vespasian. And the thing is, are those going to be put, that graven image, which is an abomination to the Jews, is that going to be put inside the temple? And in fact, in 70 AD, it was. So in AD 70, when Rome came and said, we're done with you Jews, we're destroying the temple. Well, it took them three and a half took years. Took out of Masada. Yeah. But as they exited, you're saying before they destroyed the temple, that Flavius Josephus says that this standard was lifted up in the temple. Yes, these, these abominations, which are the emperor's head, which right. is a graven image, which is against the Ten Commandments, which is, you know, I mean, we'll put it in and, the temple. And, be, and, because, like, he, and because it was, it was uh, Caesar worship, that right. is, worship Caesar instead of God. Right. And so the spirit of Antichrist on Caesar in that moment, from a Predest perspective, made him the Antichrist? I, yeah, ultimately, yes. I, I would say first he's the beast. Okay, that whole, okay. From I was going to go from 13. a person to a system there for a second. Right. So do you think that there is a, well, I, I, I know of plans, as I'm sure some of you do, to rebuild the temple in, on the Temple Mount. Yeah. Are you, do you prescribe to the idea that there's, that there's going to be a war that whatever brings the destruction of the Golden Dome down and the ushering in of a priesthood with the red heifer and all, all, everything that's needed for the temple, those plans are in place by some ultra-Orthodox Jews. Does that play into your Antichrist paradigm at all? No, because... I've read the book of Hebrews, sincerely, I mean, and I know you have too, I'm, I'm not, you know. I'm just here asking I'm the question. I'm not being weird, okay, <laughs> right. If there were a rebuilt temple, if there were the ashes of the red heifer, if there were an altar, whose sins would they forgive? Well, it would, for, in, in the Jewish mindset, it would be for those for those sins, those Orthodox Jews, right? But in the big picture of God and who he is and Jesus... And they would forgive no one's to come, sin. They would forgive no one's sin. They would accomplish nothing. 
the covenant ultimately has, right uh, covenant has been put in place it's the blood of Christ okay and what's really important I think in, in this eschatology stuff that we do is to realize things like that okay if that were to happen you know what what comes of it Another thing is, as long as we're killing sacred cows here today, we're getting a little blood on the carpet, but it's okay. You know. um, the seven-year future Great Tribulation. Okay, just hold that thought because okay. I want to get everybody up to speed. Dispensationalists yes. who believe in dispensa the dispensation of the church, dispensation yep. of grace, yep. we're, waiting for, we're, waiting, we're waiting for uh the rapture. When the rapture happens, a seven-year, that Separated inaugurates a seven-year seven period, exactly. divided in half, three and a half, three and a half. Right. That in the middle, at that three and a half, during the first half, it's all gravy. It's going great. This person, because of the rapture, then this the person has come and said, listen, we need to get rid of those Christians anyways. They were causing us all kinds of problems. Yeah. It was the aliens that took them away because yeah. they were standing in the yeah. way of whatever. Right. Whatever right. that reason right. is, whatever the reason is, they don't, the Christians aren't here anymore. We have three and a half years of, of, of great prosperity. Things are going great. All kinds of uh, agreements between countries. It's peace until right. this abomination that causes desolation. This person presents themselves. There would have to be a rebuilt it temple. Would have to be, there would have to be a rebuilt temple at that right. point. Right. All right, so you're going to cut all that down. I am. Okay, go because for it. Because the... The Daniel 70 weeks are taught in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Three and a half years. Uh, there's, there's 69 weeks and then there's one. Right. I would submit to you that the whole 70 have been fulfilled. I would challenge you to do this later on, not right now, but go through that verse. It's a long verse, Daniel 9, 24. It gives six purposes for the 70 weeks. And ask yourself... Which of these purposes was not fulfilled when Jesus shed his blood, offered it in heaven, ascended back to the Father, did the rose from the dead, the whole thing? Which of those purposes was not fulfilled? And if there is one, then I guess you can say, well, maybe we need a, a week hanging out here. But I, I believe that is, a, that is a big problem in interpreting to start with. The 70 weeks in Jesus' coming doing his ministry, dying on the cross, and, and all, all the way up. See, we, we have greatly es underestimated the impact of that whole period of time there that immediately followed the Mount Olivet Discourse, the, those 40 years, to the fall of Jerusalem, on what that meant to Israel and what it meant to God. Because... But because we live through the front page of the newspaper, right. and we interpret the Bible in light of... Right. What just happened in yeah. Iraq today, right. Right. we've gotten in that rocket and flown over yeah. 2,000 years of history. And you're saying from a preterist perspective, right. that was already fulfilled in the first century. Right. I, I believe that. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. Everybody scream right out loud. How big a heretic are you, How doctor? How big a heretic are you, doctor? <laughs> okay. I really believe the only thing left to happen in this present age is the second coming of Jesus itself. And it includes the Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> hold on. So you're combining rapture and second coming? 
it's a complex series of events. Once it starts, it's like a woman in childbirth. No, I get, that, I get it. No, I, I was in your class. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as not to leave anybody in the dust. Right, right. Dispensationalism, the rapture happens. Seven-year period, Seven years. and Jesus comes for the second coming. The rapture is not the second he coming. He comes twice. Basically. He comes twice. Right. But as he comes, to he's in the clouds, and we, so we meet him in the air, and right. so we're ever with the Lord. That as he's coming down and we come up, that he doesn't go back up. He just he keeps, keeps coming down. Keeps coming down. That's right. And we're going to yeah, try it again. Uh -huh. yeah. Right. So as he's coming down, as the rapture, as the rapture is happening, the rapture is happening. The second coming, second coming happens like that. And uh -huh. isn't it interesting that the doctrine that there was going to be a catching away seven years ahead of time was never taught in the church until 1830 with a man named Edward Irving in Britain. And it began pop, be, being popularized by the Plymouth Brethren. And then C.I. Schofield got a hold of it and put it into his reference, reference Bible. Bible. The whole dispensational thing. And it, it, it went, Dake too, went all over America, all over Britain. In most parts of the world, people don't believe this because they understand they are in the Great Tribulation. What greater tribulation is there than to be tortured and put to death for your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, you know, there's got to be stars falling from heaven. Well, let's go back to the idealist method. I mean, there's, you know, there's got to be, whatever there's got to be, it has been. Okay. Great apostasy, increased deception, wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, persecution of Christians, and global unrest and chaos. Those are right. predicates. Right. Now, for, for just a little bit uh, on uh, your Second Thessalonians passage, let's go into the historical method. Okay, I think Luther was quite an astute interpreter of the Bible. I really do. He wasn't right about everything, but most things. Uh, Luther thought the Pope was Antichrist. Was he wrong? If there was, if, if, <laughs> let's say this. If the rapture, come with me on this journey. Yeah, this If the rapture can happen at any moment. If the rapture didn't, can happen at any moment, but... It's the imminent. devil doesn't know. It's imminent. Imminent. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> you give me a half point for that. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> if the rapture is imminent and Satan doesn't know when the rapture is happening. Ooh, now we're getting somewhere. That means he has always had this spirit of Antichrist either near someone, on them, or in them, preparing them to be this person that we call the Antichrist. A plus, plus, plus. Oh, A plus for me. So that the, means at the, any, right now, the Antichrist, the, not just the general anointing, the Antichrist is in the wings waiting if this is, if this is their moment, because they don't know when the return of Christ is. Right. They have to be ready right now to come onto the scene. Okay. So now, there has been an Antichrist for every generation. So why is this true? Except that we go back to Matthew 24, 36, where Jesus makes this amazing statement. Of that day and hour, speaking of the second coming, of that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, it says in Mark 13, 32, and scribes put it back into Matthew 24, so it probably should be there anyway. All right? So, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
Jesus may know it now, he may not know it now, but the only one that knew it when Jesus was here on the earth was the Father. The angels didn't know it, Jesus didn't know it, did Satan know it? This is one of his biggest smoke screens that he has in the whole evangelical world and on this whole subject, that Satan somehow knows when the second coming is going to be. He doesn't. No angel knows it. Jesus okay, didn't know okay, it in okay, the okay. incarnation. All right. So let me, let, me, let me take your preterist position and say that we're living in tribulation right now, that the, that the, that the rapture and the second coming can happen, happen simultaneously. If, let's go back to dispensationalist position, if it's a seven-year period, then he will know when the second coming he is. He would. Exactly. I'll say it again. If we use a dispensationalist perspective, which is there's a rapture, there's three and a half and three and a half, it's a seven-year. Okay, if the, if the devil doesn't know when the second coming is, he would know. All you have to do is be able to count backwards from the seven-year period. And he does You know when the rapture is? That then okay, the rapture happened on this date. Project yourself seven years out in the future, exactly date. That's when the second coming will happen. You understand what I just said? Okay. So the spirit of Antichrist becomes so much more important to understand, and the fact that the word only occurs in first John and Second John. In fact, I would go so far as to say this every book of the New Testament was written by the fall of Jerusalem. And I know you Revelation scholars here all wanted in 90 AD. I'm being more and more persuaded it, it was in the 60s. Really? I am. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The only books. That's I, important I, because Jerusalem fell in AD 70. Right. And by that, the Romans tore down the temple in AD 70. So if it was written before the destruction, it's a big deal, then versus after the destruction. That's right. But if first... Second and third John are the only books that were written after the fall of Jerusalem. Can you see anybody that listened to Jesus and anybody that listened to the apostles' teaching were certainly expecting Jesus to come at the fall, uh, except when, when. We uh, all would. If Rome was tearing down Jerusalem, we'd all say, that's it, he's, Jesus is coming this. back right now. In Luke, Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and he gives a whole, whole set of instructions. And then there's the thing about fleeing the city. Do you know that the Christians literally did flee the city of Jerusalem and escaped the worst of the Holocaust that that was? They fled to a place called Pella. And there, the Christian church that was at Jerusalem was reconstituted some, sometime in the late 60s. And there was, as far as we know, no Christian left inside the city of Jerusalem when it finally came down. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah, that is very interesting. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fact. Okay, we're running, we're running tight on time. I want to talk about artificial intelligence and UFOs. Ooh, ooh okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, when I read the scripture... The, I'll drink to that. Okay, when I read the prophecy <laughs> where it says this thing has the ability to come to, come to life... Yeah. And you see what's being done with AI and, and holographic images. That's a whole sphere of information I think is going to play in deception at the end times. It could be. And with the uptick in society's observation or PSYOP or whatever's happening to us where UFOs or UAPs are concerned, mm -hmm. um, 
everybody is seeing them and, and who are they and what are they leading even Christians into a place of deception? Can you talk about that for a minute? I'll start with UFOs, okay? Uh, great. Everybody knows what UFOs are, right? You're Christians here, right? This is a Christian gathering, okay? UFOs are real. They're really out there. They're real videos of them and all that stuff. Um, they are the manifestations of fallen angels. They are. They're not demons. Demons don't have bodies. Fallen angels have bodies. They have supernatural bodies that can do explain, that, that can explain, go on a right that. angle at two two thousand miles an hour and go straight up, which no human body can stand, no even extraterrestrial thing that we can conceive of, but an angel can. So and a fallen angel is not a demon. Right. I believe they're different beings. I believe demons are a whole different class of beings. Fallen, fallen angels are the are the third that were yep. cast out of heaven. That's right. Okay. Right, and that's another whole discussion, of course, but. But, we'll have you back. Okay, all right. <laughs> but since that's, oh, and by the way, in 153 documented cases, a UFO abduction, you've heard of those, right, where they take the people into the flying saucer and all that. In 153 of those attempted abductions, they were halted because the intended victim was calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody listening to that fact? So the, these manifestations, these, these, we'll say demonic fallen angel, this, this evil manifestation mm -hmm. is a thing. It's real. It, it's real. It, yeah. it is three-dimensional if, yeah. if we can think yeah. in those terms. Yeah. Um, so I if have, one lands in your yard, you, you know what to do. Be <laughs> <laughs> the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, so... Um, a demonic force of whatever, fallen angel, whatever, now walks out of one of these things. Mm -hmm. We know that Satan can manifest himself as an angel of light. Mm -hmm. We know from scripture, which I read earlier, that there's, there, they can call down fire. They can have miraculous signs. So now this is presented as, well, these people are from the future. They know much more than us. We should worship them. Yeah. Because they're here to help us. And so we... I'm sure that's coming. Yeah. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. That's a possibility. It is, yeah. That's on the demonic front. On the artificial intelligence yeah. side. That's more the science side. <laughs> that, is, that is science produced by fallen human minds. And I don't trust it for a minute. Any replacement for the human race is not coming from Jesus. It's not coming from the Father. I, I, I recall, um, maybe it was in your class many years ago when we talked about life on other planets. And if there's life on other planets, Christ would have to be the only answer for them yeah. because this is, a universal, this is a universal gospel, not a planetary gospel. Right. And therefore, and Christ... Send Reformation, not Star Trek, right? Here not being, not being re-crucified, right? Having to do the whole crucifixion scene over on Planet X, right? 
that this is it. We are the we we are the apple of his eye. I mean, think about that. What we now know the size of the universe and how big it is. This is it. We're it. Created in the image of God, loved by God, put here to fear God, worship God, love Him. So Satan comes in with his other campaign of fear. Well, I don't really know when the second coming is going to be, so i got to have my little side act ready here just in case. And he's done it for 1,900-plus years. There's no generation of Christians that has ever lived that have really loved God that sat around. Let, let's pick a year arbitrarily. How about when nothing was happening, like maybe, say, uh, 1137, okay? The Crusades. <laughs> well, yeah, they were starting that. <laughs> but, okay, how about 912? Can't, can't, can't place it. Okay, how, 912. You have a gathering of Christians, like this many Christians came together on Sunday morning. Say, wow, we're sure glad we live in 912 because there's nothing happening. Jesus sure couldn't come now, and uh, we don't need to worry about any of that. Uh, uh, any of that. We're just, we're just in 912, man. No, no generation of Christians ever did that. They read their Bibles. They knew they should love Jesus appearing. They knew he was coming quickly. They believed that, and they were right to believe it. And we're right to believe it right now in 2023, even if he doesn't come till 2123. We're right to believe he's coming imminently and immediately and to love that appearing. There are, it, there are, there's nothing else that needs to happen standing in the way of the rapture slash second that's coming. My, that's my position. Yep. Was 1948 and the, recon, and the reconstitution of Israel anywhere on your radar for that? I think just in the general sense that Israel's back as a nation. Uh, and but it could have certainly happened before that. Right. All those Old Testament prophecies that talk about blessing Israel and the future of Israel, we've got to honor those. We've got to honor, I, I don't know if you saw this Ramaswamy guy that mm -hmm. uh, was dissing on Israel. No, buddy, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here. He's quite slick, isn't he? I'm, he's smart. Very smart. He's one of the Republican candidates from, right. uh, he's from India. He's a Hindu. Yeah, he's born here, though. I mean, he's a native mm. English speaker. I mean, his the economic stuff friend. sounds good to right. me, but boy, he's whacked on Israel. Mm -hmm. He defended Trump. Hey, he's got, he's got some sense, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I... I we're out of time, but I want to ask you one more question about extraterrestrial life and life on other planets. Um, there's a rocket that goes to a place, or we find this, this cellular thing somewhere in the atmosphere, on a planet somewhere. Look at this fossil. It's, it, this proves that there was life, that there is life, was life some other place at some other time. Is, is that, does that throw a monkey wrench into your end time perspective? Or because we are beings with a soul, there could be life. I mean, right. as much as I love my dog, my dog doesn't have a soul, right? right? So, so let's say there's life discovered on a planet, but it's not, it's not human right. life. It would have to be created in the image of God. It would have to have... Meaning that. a humanoid. Right. Person. I'm talking about just 
a cell or yeah. something life there was just that, that there's life doesn't doesn't prove that you know that any of this stuff is going to come to play for that planet right, right. we're talking about the souls of men right okay right i agree so what would be our best practice for not becoming deceived in First our final of all, minute here together do not fear a future super boogeyman antichrist because Satan actually doesn't... The reason that future antichrist looks that way is that it's a conglomeration of Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 11, Revelation chapter 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then you, you mix all that into the blender and then you throw in 1 John and we get the word antichrist. And I, I always wondered how this ever got so mixed together like this and became so big. And I actually found it out with a research class at North Central that I had. We, we researched backwards through history to find out at what time, what point these terms merged together. Because the Bible itself doesn't merge them. And, there, and we found the answer. It's a church father named Irenaeus. He lived at the end of the second century, going into the third century. He wrote about these subjects. You can read what he wrote. It's readily available on the internet. He's the guy that melded together Antichrist, Beast, uh, Little Horn, Man of Lawlessness, all this, all the same guy. So ever since Irenaeus, the church has been speaking of capital A Antichrist as this future super duper. And guy. the system of Antichrist, the number of the beast. Mm, that's another subject. I got a slide for it. You do? You, you want to do it? You, you want to do it now real quick? <laughs> okay. All right. If we got a slide, why not? We got Let's a slide. Have a slide. Ooh, man. The meaning of 666, wow, Revelation I, 13, I cannot, 18. I cannot read that print. I'm sorry, guys. Germanic use. Uh, it's right up there, too. Germanic oh, wait, use here of we go. the alphabet. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. All Learn right. For the numbers. 666. All right. Now, you've all seen in the popular culture, you got bands and you got... Ronald rock. Reagan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Six letters in each. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, they, they are Satanists and all this, woo, woo, 666 has all this weird mystical power. It really doesn't. Okay. It's another smokescreen. It's another fraud. Okay. So, what is 666? Gematria, see that word. Gematria right. means that a language uses its alphabet letters for numbers. You can go online and put people's names in right. and get the numbers. So one you're all familiar with is how Latin letters are used as Roman numerals. True. If you want to write uh, one in Roman numerals, you write the letter I, right? right? You, if you want five, you write V. If you want 10, you write X, right? Roman numerals, okay? So that's gematria. Well, Greek and Hebrew have the same thing. Now, I'm sorry I didn't have uh, Hebrew characters in my font. All right? So, uh, next slide, please. What if we would take the title Neron Kaisar in Greek? Okay. Just under the supposition that maybe John was talking about Nero. That's his title and his name, okay? And if we added him up in Greek from that title and name, it would come to 1,005. Hey, everybody's like, what? It's supposed to be 666. Uh, no, it's 1,005. But 
Now remember, the whole New Testament's written in Greek, not Hebrew, but if we took Neron Kaisar, spelled that way, in Hebrew, you have it here. Noon is 50, Resh is 200, Holam is 6, Noon is 50, Kaf is 100, and Resh is 200. Samek is 60. There you go, a 666. But now the astute listener is going to say, yes, Dr. Nichols, but you just chose that spelling of Neron. And people have done this for centuries, and these books that I just showed you did it, and, and all this. And you know, putting it in, so just so the numbers work out. All right, here's, here's my safeguard for that. It's called Murabaat. It's a place five miles south of Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, right on the shores of the Dead Sea, just after the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, a letter was found that was written in Hebrew, dates itself to 56 AD, spells ah. Neron Kaisar in this way. Somebody who is not interested in this discussion, some, something, a piece of data that cannot be manipulated, this is just how they wrote it if they wrote it in Hebrew. So would someone in, I mean, I, how does that translate to having that symbol on your hand or your forehead? Is that metaphorically or is that actuality? It actually was done in the first century. There, there were emperor worship sites. So it was mandated yes. if you want to buy, sell, trade. It started in earnest with Nero. Caligula kind of had the concept, but he got, you know, taken out. And so, <laughs> right. So, all right. So I'll, I'll see that point and 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 see you. But a prophecy, a prophecy has to be fulfilled, but can have multiple fulfillments. It can. Yeah. But actually, the Christians, what the Christians faced in the 60s AD across the Roman Empire was the fact that there was an edict put out that it's time to worship the emperor. Under, under Nero. And, and they, they used all kinds of temples for this. They used the Temple of Zeus. They used uh, Aphrodite. They used Mithra. They used, and there were a few dedicated actual Roman worship, emperor worship temples that were just that. But most of them were, they were polytheists. They, you, you can worship Zeus here, you, and, and you can also get your duty. It's just a civic duty to worship the emperor. And you get this little papyrus thing here that proves you did it. So that you can buy, sell, the and market, trade? So you can buy, sell, and trade. That's already happened. Good books written about this. <laughs> so uh, I do want you to give a charge, a, a prescription against the fear yes. that may be there. Yes. Would you I, I pray would, for us? I would love to. All Let, right. Let's all stand yep. up. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you today that your word says there is no fear in love and perfect love casts out fear. Take your hand and put it on your heart right now, if you would, please. Father, I thank you for these children of yours. I thank you that they are seeking you and finding you. 
And I thank you that today we have uh, unmasked some of Satan's deception, some of his fraud, some of his covering of what he really doesn't know, so that we can draw near to you. And Lord, as we did earlier in this service, we declare to you, we fear you, the Lord God. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Maker of heaven and earth. Father God, the sender of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who shed his blood and died on that cross so that we could be saved, came out of that tomb the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, we take this fear. It, it, it hovers over our heads. And we say to it today, you're not landing here. We are marching into this future as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of the Father, of warriors of light coming against the darkness. Say this right out loud, everybody. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I am a warrior of light. I am a warrior of light. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Satan, I will not fear you. Satan, I will not fear you. Or any of your lies. Or any of your lies. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Jesus told me, do not be afraid. Jesus told me, do not be afraid. And I declare today. And I declare today. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. You are my savior. You are my savior. You are my healer. You are my healer. You are my deliverer. You are my deliverer. And you are my coming king. And you are my coming king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This has been a message from Destiny Church in Springfield, Illinois. To learn more about our ministry, visit the episode description where you can find links to our website, ways to give, and more information about who we are. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationship. Relationship.